0: Father, in this awesome and holy and sacred moment, we praise you for the gift of your Son. And we ask God that in an amazing way, you would bring us unto yourself. Worthy is the Lamb. We pray these things in His name. Amen. Amen. Please be seated. Thank you. What an awesome time of worship. How many of you ever watched the uh, cable show called Dirty Jobs by a guy named Mike Rowe? Yeah, it's a great show, isn't it? Sewer inspector, snake wrangler. (laughs) They have to catch snakes and make them vomit, and then they have to analyze the vomit. My favorite was shark suit tester. (laughs) (laughs) And I remember the guy describing to him what he had to do. So he says, what do I have to do? He says, well, we're going to lower you into the water with some chum, and the sharks are going to come up, and they're going to bite you. And he said, well, how do I know if the suit works? He says, if you live, the suit works. (laughs) Makes me wonder a little bit if uh, some Roman guards in A.D. 33 maybe felt a little bit like that. When they were assigned the task associated with that first Easter Sunday, the Bible goes into great lengths to describe the experience of those Roman soldiers who were there at the crucifixion and who ultimately were there even at the resurrection. These were men who were trained military killers, and the Bible talks about them being there just like everybody else from Good Friday all the way through Resurrection Sunday, and just like everybody else, they witnessed these events, and just like everybody else, they were privy to God's messages throughout the crucifixion and Resurrection Sunday. They were privy to God's wake-up calls. And they were just going off all over the place. And yet what we learn is that those who were there, those Roman soldiers who were there at the cross and the resurrection, this set of men, although having the same experience, had different responses to God's wake-up call. One set of soldiers were assigned to the crucifixion. This messy and cruel torture of criminals who were to be exterminated and I imagine some of the more kind of violent and bloodthirsty Roman soldiers maybe enjoyed that a little bit but you got to think that there were those who had heard about Jesus and maybe had even been there hearing some of his teaching and maybe some of them were thinking that this is a bad job I don't want to be a part of this in fact we learn in Matthew chapter 8 that one Roman centurion had heard about Jesus, had heard his teaching, and actually called upon Christ in Matthew chapter 8. So we know that even these Romans who who were there in Jerusalem were hearing about Christ, and, and they were hearing about his teaching and hearing about his claims of being the Messiah. And we learn from the scripture in Mark chapter 15, we know that at least one of these Roman soldiers... Responded to Christ, responded to God's wake up call. It says in Mark chapter 15, verse 39 and when the centurion, that's the Roman soldier who was assigned there at the cross, at the crucifixion, and when the centurion who stood there in front of Jesus heard his cry, that's Jesus' cry, and saw how he died. So, in other words, this soldier was there at the foot of the cross. He's looking at Jesus. Jesus had just given up his spirit. And the Bible says, when he saw Jesus and saw how he died, he said, surely this man was the Son of God. So at least one of them responding to God's wake-up call. The call of God upon his life. The call of God that says, I'm here. I'm the Christ, I'm the Messiah, I'm God, I am Savior, I am Lord. And this man responded to it. There was another set of Roman soldiers, however, that were signed to guard the tomb. After Jesus had died, after he had been taken down from the cross, and he was placed in a tomb, a large tomb, kind of a cave, We learn from the Bible that there was this set of soldiers who were assigned to guard the tomb. And I can imagine them thinking to themselves, what did I do to get myself this job? I've got to stand here for three days, and boy, I have to guard this guy to make sure he doesn't leave the tomb, this dead guy. (laughs) And so they're there. And we learn the Bible talks about how the Jewish leaders of that day wanted to make sure that there were guards at the tomb because they were afraid that the disciples would come and steal the body of Jesus And then say that Jesus had been resurrected as he had taught. Well, they guard the tomb, and I can imagine them thinking to themselves, this ragtag, defeated group of Jesus' followers are no match for us. And so there they are. And they're there at the tomb, and guess what? Sunday morning comes. And Sunday morning, the Bible says that on that morning, an angel of the Lord appears at the tomb. An angel of the Lord rolls away the stone in front of the tomb. And Jesus bursts forth out of the tomb in life and in resurrection power. And they are right there witnessing all this. And the Bible says that they were deeply afraid. In fact, I I imagine that some of them set world sprint records, you know, away from the tomb to go and talk to their... Supervisors about what had happened. Well, they report this news. And guess what? The Jewish leaders again get involved. And they pay off these Roman soldiers to tell a lie about what had taken place. A lie that somehow some disciples had overcome these Roman soldiers and actually stolen the body of Jesus. Imagine that. These killing machines. And yet, they are paid, the Bible says, a large sum of money to say just that. Witnessing God's wake up call, but ignoring it. And worse yet, ignoring it for money. Two experiences, two very different responses to God's wake-up call. And this is what I want to say today on this Easter Sunday. This is what I want to remind you of. God is still in the business of issuing wake-up calls to men and women. He's still doing that. He's still telling people about His power and His presence. He's still proclaiming to individuals that He loves them, that He is here, that He is present. He's still proclaiming the same message in 2012 that he proclaimed there in 33 AD. It may look a little different, though. God's wake-up calls may not be quite so dramatic as it was there on that Easter Sunday morning or there on that Good Friday. How does God initiate and issue wake-up calls today? This is what I want to talk to you about. I believe that God issues wake-up calls today in three ways. And we see these in the Bible. The first way that God issues wake-up calls to you and to me is through crisis, pain, or heartbreak. Through crisis, pain, or heartbreak. Let's face it. Some of us don't wake up to God's presence in our lives until until we reach the end of our own resources. It's like the old preacher said. He said... We don't change when we see the light. We change when we feel the heat, right? Often it takes us getting to the end of our own rope. Sometimes it takes pain. And I'm not saying that God has caused this pain. I'm not saying that at all. But what I am saying is that through pain, through hardship, through challenge, through desperation is often God's megaphone to proclaim to us his message of hope and life and love. And sometimes in the middle of pain, in the middle of hardship, in the middle of disaster, God comes and that still small voice, and he says to you, I'm here. I care. And I can help. And in those moments, in those moments, we have a choice to respond to God's wake-up call or to ignore it. I have a friend who is a former NFL player, he's a former running back for the Denver Broncos. And he talks about how when he was signing contracts and doing deals and, you know, all this kind of stuff, how cool it was and how great it was and how he really didn't respond to God or need God in his life. And then he got a knee injury. And it was through that knee injury that he woke up to the fact that, hey, God is present, that God loves him. And that God had a plan and a purpose for his life beyond the circumstances of football, that God had some plan and purpose. Businessmen and women, when the charts are going up, when the profits look good, in those moments, we often don't feel a need or a sense for God in our lives. But when things go south, we wake up. It's God's way of getting our attention. It's God's way of saying something to us beyond the circumstances of the challenge, of the challenges that we're facing, beyond the trials, beyond the hardships. It is God's way of trying to get our attention and say to us the truth of the resurrection, and that is that God is alive, that he is present in the world. And that he loves you. In the book of Job, the Old Testament, chapter 42, verse 5 Job, after he had experienced all this pain and suffering, and you know the sufferings of Job, he'd lost his family, he'd lost his wealth, he'd lost his own personal health. And at the end of that process, he says this in Job 42, five: My ears had heard of you, but now my eyes have seen you. What was he saying? He's saying, well, I had a mental kind of experience with God. I knew that God existed. I knew that he was there. But through the pain and suffering and hardship, Job came to not just know it mentally, but to experience it spiritually. So God is issuing a wake-up call through crisis, pain, or heartbreak. Secondly, God often issues wake-up calls through the lives of strategically placed Christians. And I found this to be true in the Bible. The Bible tells a very interesting story in the book of Acts about a government leader from the country of Ethiopia who was traveling to Jerusalem. And as a part of being a good religious and kind of spiritual person, he would go to Jerusalem and travel there and participate in the Jewish customs and the rituals. He was not a Jew necessarily, but he was participating in it because he was a seeker. He wanted to learn more about God, and this was his way of expressing that. Well, one day the Bible says in Acts chapter 8 that he was sitting in his chariot, reading the scroll of the Old Testament book of Isaiah. And Philip, a disciple of Christ, came by. And he asked Philip a very, very important question. Look in Acts chapter 8, verse 34. It says this, The eunuch asked Philip, Tell me, please, who is the prophet talking about, himself or someone else? Then Philip began with that very passage of scripture, and told him the good news about Jesus. Now, to me, this is very interesting. Here's this Ethiopian eunuch, this political leader, who was seeking God and asking questions, and providentially, God led a Christ follower to him. And to me, this is the way that God is issuing wake-up calls in many people's lives today. It's not through pain or hardship or trials or bad situations, it's often because God has placed a Christ follower in your life. And some of you can remember back to the people that made a difference in your lives. The people who, when you had questions about God, were there with you. Some of you this morning have got people in your lives who are Christians. And God has strategically and providentially placed them in your life. To help remind you of his role and his purpose in your life. To remind you that there is a God in heaven and that he loves you. And so in this very strategic way, and you may think it's not supernatural, you may think it's accidental, but in this very supernatural and providential way, God is providing a wake-up call to you through another individual. I'll tell you, Christians don't always get it right. Christians are not always responsible They don't always share love as they should, but there are many, many who are. I read a story this week. It was an article, and it described the experience of a man whose wife had developed an aggressive form of cancer, and she had three months to live. This is the letter that the husband wrote. This is what he said. I was in total despair. I went through the funeral preparations, and in the service, it was like I was in a trance. Then after the funeral service, I went to the path along the river, and I walked all night, but I did not walk alone. My neighbor, who was afraid for me, I guess, he stayed with me all night. He did not speak. He did not even walk beside me. He just followed me, and when the sun finally came up over the river, he came over to me, and he said, let's go get... Let's go get some breakfast. He says this, I go to church now. I go to my neighbor's church. A religion that can produce that kind of caring and love that my neighbor showed me is something that I want to find out more about. I want to be like that. I want to love and to be loved like that the rest of my life. Maybe God has placed a believer in your life who can share this kind of love for you, if you will respond to God's wake-up call. Then third, and finally, God provides wake-up calls through massive doses of kindness and blessing. (laughs) And I really love this one. Sometimes God will just wear people down by looking out for them. By pouring blessing after blessing into their lives. By providing for them in some amazing, amazing way. In Romans chapter 2, verse 4, the Apostle Paul talks about this. He says this, Or do you show contempt for the riches of his kindness, tolerance, and patience, not realizing that God's kindness leads you toward repentance? How do we show contempt for God's patience and kindness when we don't recognize the blessings of our lives come from Him? It's contempt. There are those of you in this room who've been blessed beyond measure. God has granted you a family, He has granted you a measure of health, God has granted you a measure of material goods some financial security, and if you were to look close, you would say, these things are really not the result of my intelligence. (laughs) They're really not the result of anything else, but a blessing and a gift from God. I had a friend a few years ago who told me about an experience that he had. He was running out the door, running late to an appointment, and he jumps in the car that was in his driveway, and he puts it in reverse and he begins to back up and he has this sense, just this sense that he needs to stop. And so he immediately slams on the brakes and he stops. And he looks back behind him. And there's a four-year-old boy who's about three feet away from the back of his car. And You can imagine the relief that he felt. He said, God protected, God provided. And as we talked about that, it led him to Humility. It led him closer to God as a result of understanding that that experience was really the result and the gift of a loving Father in heaven who had protected him in that circumstance and who had provided for him in some amazing, amazing way. And so some of you, some of you are experiencing this kind of kindness from God and blessing from God and he's just shouting a wake-up call to you to respond to him and to respond to his love. I tell you, in my life, as I look back over these many, many years, I I became a Christian at the age of 17, and all these things were really taking place in my life. Some of you would say, all three of these things are true, you know. I've got the, you know, I've got the t-shirt. I've, I've experienced all these things. I've experienced pain and hardship in my life. I've experienced Christians around me who have tried to communicate love to me, maybe even a spouse who is a Christ follower who is trying to live a life and uh, I've also experienced great blessing and kindness from God. Some of you would say, I've experienced all three. Here's my question. How long are you going to ignore God's wake-up call? How long? How long? The Roman soldiers ignored it for money. One of them, we learned, knelt at the foot of the cross and said, Surely, surely, he must be the Son of God. What's your response? You see, the truth is, is that the events of your life could have been leading up to this very day. This Easter could be the most life-transforming Easter of your entire life. Because this Easter could be the day that you turn to God and listen to his wake-up calls. Here's been my experience. God issues wake-up calls, and he is loving, and he is kind, and he is patient, and he is speaking to us about the fact that he is present, that he cares, that he wants to be engaged and involved in our lives, and that he wants us to turn to his son, Jesus Christ, his Savior and Lord. He is doing that. But eventually, eventually, we become deaf to these experiences eventually we become so used to not responding to God and his love that we grow calloused to even the wake-up calls that are all around us. It's my prayer that you will not have that experience. It's my prayer that you will respond to God this Easter Sunday in fullness and in freedom. Peter, the Apostle Peter, writes this as we close, 1 Peter 1, 3. This is the same guy that denied Christ there at the crucifixion. It's the same guy that ran away. But who, after the resurrection, rose up in amazing power and life and proclaimed the good news of Christ. First Peter 1 Peter 1.3 says, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. The resurrection of Jesus, the bodily resurrection of Christ, meant that he defeated death, that he defeated sin, and that he offers new life to every individual who had placed their trust in him as Savior. That's the wonderful and blessed hope of Easter. And it's what the Apostle Peter is describing there. Have you experienced that in your life? You say, yeah, well, I have. Well, maybe this Easter Sunday is not this being something new for you, but being a reminder to you of God's love and His presence and the power that He can make in your life, the difference, the life transforming difference that He can make in your life. Maybe you're new to church, maybe you're new to faith. This is all new to you. And this Sunday, you could turn to Him and trust Him. So let's do this. Let's bow our heads.